This is Women in Justice, and my name is Dr. Shantae James. For this episode, I turn to a person in my tribe. I'm big on having several people guide, help, and tell you statements that you do not necessarily want to hear. So I feel so blessed that she was able to make time for us. We're going to talk about her new book, which I'm so excited, and her experience while focusing for a short moment due to the time on Black women. Needless to say, I'm going to jump in and turn the podium over to the speaker as she officially introduces herself and highlights her body of work as it relates to the podcast. Well, good afternoon, Dr. Shante James. I am just so excited and honored to be a part of this conversation with you, being one of the mentors that I look up to. I'm excited about this opportunity. So first, let me thank you for the opportunity to do such a thing. As it relates to my body of work, my body of work resides in the institution of higher learning or higher higher education institutions, but more specifically and predominantly white institutions known as PWIs. And as the vice president of diversity, equity and inclusive excellence, justice is one of the key variables and key values that I frame my work from, but not just any justice. I'm speaking more specifically of distributive justice and social justice as it relates to equity, um, inclusion, equality, economic and social rights and opportunities. So when we look at social justice um, and we look at the equity, it kind of speaks to equal rights and equitable equitable opportunities for everybody. So if you look at my website, you'll see where I'd say that I'm trying to create a sense of belonging where everybody can thrive and not just those people who come into it with the thriving DNA already. Okay, so let me just, so the audience has it, do me a favor and give me your website so they have that information. Okay, that would be um, Lebanon Valley College. And if you would just plug into the search bar, diversity, equity, and inclusive excellence, you'll come right to the website. Okay. All right. So from there, and I'm going to springboard off of the uh, DEI information, how do you define or how do you think that we can be inclusive? Being my okay, so everybody, mm-hmm. just so you know, we all we know each other. <laughs> so yes. I'm gonna flip it on her uh, several times. Uh, so Is her and fair? I will be fine, <laughs> but the audience may be listening. Like, okay, she keeps flipping it. Okay, so how would you define inclusion? Um, start me off there. Well, the definition of inclusion is so multifaceted because there are so many ways that we can be included when we look at what some of the things that you have taught me about master status, and when we look at intersectionality, the the definition can be so broad and so multifaceted. But when I look at inclusion in the, the transcript that I give, when I say diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'm looking at um, including those individuals and those individuals who have been excluded from 
the constituents in higher education or the student body or the faculty members in higher education. I'm looking at inclusion as bringing individuals in who are not normally seen in those spaces. So inclusion looks like first you've got to start with diversity because if it's homogeneous, then you're included, who you're including is everybody who looks alike, thinks alike, and acts alike. When I when I think about inclusion, I first think about how how do we diversify the spaces in which we operate on in order to include different verse, different voices and different ideologies, different opportunities, different ways of making meaning. So inclusion comes with all of that, not just the not just the um the aspects of learning, but the aspects of learning about differences and about others and about people beyond how you think or see or feel or make meaning. Okay, so when you're saying differences, is it enough for me to bring that uh, certain identities in the room in the sense mm-hmm. that when you say diversity, if I have the diversity in the room, but they're stratified based upon their social class, mm-hmm. is that enough? That's not enough. Okay. Uh, tell me why you don't think it's enough. Because we're what we want to look at, because social class might will bring to it an aspect of inclusion that looks at maybe one or two parameters of what, what we're trying to be inclusive about. I think when we look at, at, at least the way I'm interpreting or defining social class, and maybe maybe what I should ask you is, how are you defining social class first before I go on? So social class, I would define as your economics. I'm gonna you know, keep it on the economic level because I have another layer to it that I'm gonna ask you beyond okay, the, okay. the social class. Uh, right. So I'm and gonna was, look at, I'm just gonna leave that one as the economics. Okay, all right, economically, that's not enough. No, we've got to look at ideology, um, the way people make meaning, we got to look at abilities and those people and, and accessibilities uh, as a way of inclusion. We've got to look at our identities, all those things that make up the inclusion of, of a sp- in a space, particularly in higher education, because I look at higher education as a laboratory. Uh, and looking at it as laboratory is experiential and experimental, both at the same time. Okay, so there's been a lot of backlash, especially over the last few weeks in relationship to um, issues of diversity and Mm -hmm. race has been at the forefront. Mm -hmm. So in looking at it from the sphere of the DEI, is it enough to say, especially in the academic realm, to say, well, the room is racially diverse? Now, if it's racially diverse, but it's not economically diverse, are we missing something? Yes. Why? Because the thought would be that if I'm in a, if I'm looking at the room and they're racially diverse, they in theory should be bringing a different story or does Mm -hmm. their economics play a bigger picture than we give it credit for? I think from my perspective that yes, economics plays a bigger, not a bigger piece, but it pays a piece that might be, that might need more attention that has a group of salient, uh, particular needs, salient needs that's specific to 
the the socioeconomic background that people are bringing. Um, but I also think that same thing about race and the the experiences that people who are minor minoritized or marginalized who live in in the margins um, bring the diversity that they bring and also along with the salient needs because the idea is when you diversify you don't diversify just based on the idea that you have uh, an optic performance based kind of way of looking at diversity and inclusion but you want to diversify and include folks so that people can get the skill sets that they need to thrive. And in determining the level to survive, I question whether or not we're going to this checkoff list in the sense that people are kind of going into the room and I'm talking academic and kind of mm -hmm, saying, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to check off this. I'm going to check off this. And the the verbiage that's typically used is okay we're going to reach this quota and once we, we reach the quota so you hear that the the backlash for that mm -hmm. so i question whether or not now as we're standing here one could arguably say hey the room is diverse everyone may visually look the same but they're stratified differently economically and if mm -hmm. one is not enough are you suggesting that we go to more of a as Crenshaw would say, looking at those intersections to say, well, when we're looking at diversity, we need to take a lot of different variables in. And then here's a bigger question for me to you. And again, everybody, we all know, we know each other. <laughs> <laughs> at what point do we stop checking off the list? And we well, feel I like we I don't we're... start by checking off okay. the list. All right. That's not what I do. And that's what I kind of alluded to when I talk about performative and optic kinds of ways of diversifying. Okay. So we say, okay, now we've got this room full of diverse people because they're racially uh, d different and they're economically different and they're first generation and they're Pell eligible. Um, and, you know, they don't, they've never been nobody in their, and their family's ever been to college. I don't, I don't look at that as, as the end result. Okay. So then what would be the end result to you? The end result for me is that everybody gets the salient needs that they that they need, the salient parts of the educational aspects that they need in order to succeed. So success is the end result for me. Uh, and the diversifying of the, it within the success. Okay. Right. Okay. So uh, I know you uh, have a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. So I know as everyone was listening, they're probably thinking I'm jumping around. So I am going to jump off of this mm -hmm. topic for a little bit. And I want to talk about your book that's out uh, that oh. actually just came out this week, everybody. So I'm going to give you some room to tell us your title and then tell me a little bit about the topic in the book. Well, thank you so much. And in a backdoor kind of way, it really it really responds to some of the things that I try to do in uplifting the communities and diverse communities and my, within where within marginalized people live and have space. So the title of the book is My T-shirt is Speaking. And the book is based on testimonials of women who have either attended a healing workshop that I facilitate or have observed 
a healing workshop. And that workshop, the purpose of the workshop is to find your voice. What voice are you bringing to the space? Um, and how are you bringing your voice to the space? So it, it's really based on um, a couple of different things, but grounded in uh, Black feminist thought and the tenets of collective, like a, a Black woman's standpoint, collective voices. And what the, what the book is, just a little teeny journal. What the book does, it gives the test of, oh, I give out a t-shirt at the end of the workshop. I ask the individuals to select a t-shirt that resonates most with them as a result of the workshop. And so they pick out t-shirts that have different affirmations on them. It might be like, um, I don't look like what I've been through. Uh, you don't know my story, so don't judge my walk. Those are some of the kinds of affirmations that that are post are, that are on the t-shirts and rhinestones, by the way, crystal rhinestones. Um, and when the the women then that. Select, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. By the way, by the way, uh, when the women when they select whatever t-shirt they select, I ask them to write their testimony to speak their voice now that they the t-shirt has has been a prompting for them to speak now what they're feeling and what resonated for them when they read that uh the the affirmation on the t-shirt and those testimonies are then placed in the book along with some promptings for individuals who are reading the book to walk through the journey of finding your voice and a voice that is going to be transformational in your walk. Okay. So I just want to make sure everyone um, has the term. So when you say black feminists, how are you defining that? Let's get that term. Um, black women with the ideology to, to think about uh, their own experiences and categorize those experiences in ways that, that speak to, that might be a little bit outside of the margin. Um, so we have a standardized way of thinking about leadership. But when I think about feminist thought, and particularly in a theological feminist thought, I think about um, Black women and the uplifting of their voices to uplift the communities. Okay, so I have to ask you the classic argument with this. Uh, part of the discussion, especially when looking at the Black feminist thought, in comparison to feminists, one of the big tenets or one of the discussion points is that feminist theory has a tendency to ignore the uh, marginalized voices. Is that the reason why you gravitated more so to the Black feminists versus just saying, this is a feminist platform that I'm going to? That's absolutely right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Because if we look at the literature, we know that um, the feminist thought, while it was a precursor maybe to some things that got people thinking differently, but the feminist thought was is more of an individualistic kind of way of making meaning about how things need to be different and how things need to change. Uh, for me, the Black feminist thought is about not just me as an individual, individual, but me as a, a individual within my community in which I have to outreach and be a, a, an important part of and the uplifting of the community. 
And do you think, or I guess I'm curious at why you're standing at the point where it sounds like you feel like this is part of your commitment, but also part, um, I don't know if obligation is a word. Um, I would say more of a commitment. You have a burning desire for this. And I I question why. Uh, Because I look at the state of the world. I look at the state of Black women. I look at the the discrepancies that exist, not just in higher education where I am, but I look at health discrepancies. I look at mental health discrepancies. Even in higher education, when we look at Black women, they're the lowest paid on the totem pole. They they engage in, I guess, activities that are less healthy uh, they have unique kind of stressors that they have to that they are part of. So I look when I look at that, and I look at the fact that when folks um, talk about black women, they talk about them in such a way that they make them exclusionary to real life. It's kind of like, oh man, she's a superwoman. She can do anything, all the things at the same time. But the 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 other the flip side of that, if we're not doing it the way folks want us to do it, folks who are just us, the just us folks, not the justice folks, but the just us folks, um, then we become a black bee and not 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 invited in to the decision making. So that's why I'm, I think I'm passionate about it. And there are there are there are at least five tenants that I know of that are that um, kind of govern the black feminist thought as a, as as I look at it, as it relates to the, the, the kind of ways that black women are are talking about their experiences now. And that's why I got the idea for the book to just have black women talk. No rhyme or reason, no intellectual process, all that. Just kind of talk about your experience. Because the the black woman experience, as we know it, we know it, but other folk outside of the black women don't know it. So it sounds like with the book, you're providing a platform for some voices to be heard, but also this healing process. Yes. So in capturing your your voice or hearing your voice, what are some of the other steps that the book is providing? It provides an opportunity to to learn how to be mindful um, about your surroundings, how to breathe in ways that you're calming. It addresses your, and I don't want to get too technical. Uh, yeah, or uh, I'm trying to make sure that everyone has uh, um, information right. concerning the book, but I don't want to give the book totally away. So I, I no, appreciate it, that. No, I'm just, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, well, it's okay. Um, but what I do, what I've no, done. No, I want people to go get it. So. Okay. It's on Amazon. You can, you can purchase it on yeah, Amazon. I just want, I want people to go get um, it too. I, I, I address, because I talked about the unique stressors that Black women experience. And a lot of times we we want to hold it in because we want we don't want to be seen as weak. So we keep that S on our chest. And that's killing us. That stressor is killing us. Um so I talk about what I call, well, it's not what I call, what what we know as our nervous system and the parts of our nervous system that, that 
keeps us stressed out? And then how do we then move from what that's called the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system, where we develop some skills and some abilities and some ways of coping and making meaning in a different way so that we can rest more in the parasympathetic than in the heightened, anxious, driven, sympathetic way of making meaning. So with the thought of the Black woman trying to be the superhero, do you see that changing over time? Um, Do you envision, um, especially with your book down the road, that we'll step back as Black women and say, okay, (laughs) you know, I don't have to do 20 things today uh, because I know for myself, if I don't get all 20 done, I'm very much like, I I didn't Mm -hmm. have a good day, but I've done like 18 out of the 20. (laughs) Right. So right. at what point do you think that shift or that realization to um, know you're enough kicks in? Mm-hmm. I think the more we have distinctive group consciousness as Black women, the more we will be able to uplift each other and mentor each other to, toward the reality that we are not super women and we don't have to be super women. And that does not make us less than when we'll be able to say and do, I am enough in what I'm presenting. And when we value who we are and what we've given and what we can give for the uplifting of ourselves and for the entire community, I think, yes, I think it's changing. I think it's a, it's a slow process um, because there are so many other variables that that kind of push against us. But I think it's changing because now, like you say, the book, then we have these conversations. Then I meet with women, a group of women, and those group of women go out and tell other women. Um, and so I think that now it, I can see a change in the in the women that I've, that I've been talking to and working with as it relates to you, understanding your authentic self and understanding how to regulate your emotional giftedness uh, and understanding that it's okay for you to have 20 things to do and you get 18 things done. I teach women how to look for their glimmers. What were the glimmers in those 18 things that you got done? And glimmer simply means the success. And to say that it's enough, you know, 18, I, I'm a, I mean, you know, 18 out of 20, I, I, I think I we're not, it you know. was more than enough. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> look, you got 18 done and 50% of getting done is 10. So you are over and above. <laughs> Which is part of the reality. But, you know, me stepping back to kind of say, hey, this this is enough. All right. I'm going to shift gears one more time with you uh, just because I, I do know you and I know your experience. Um, where do you think women stand in the academic world? Because one of the blessings of having you on today is that you've got that experience in and various, you've worn various hats in the academic world. So where do you see us historically um, over time and where do you see us going in the future? Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, I think that um, it was difficult for Black women because of my minoritized taxation. Again, that superwoman syndrome uh, as a give it to a black woman. And the the other thing that I, that I realized that was happening in the spaces that I lived in, that 
when individuals could not see their way through a difficult conversation with one another, meaning white folks, if you're the token person put in there, like in a V and a, a VP of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and both sides then look to you to complete what it is or to, to agree with what it is that they want to have done in, v, in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, even though you're supposed to be the expert, that, but that's the just us kind of mindset. And I call those, and uh, let, let me uh, go somewhere else for one minute. Okay. And I call those progressive racist because uh, if you look at what uh, D'Angelo says about but her book, she has a book called Nice Racism. And those are the, the nice racist, I mean, excuse me, or nice racism. And she speaks to the idea that there are progressive whites who want to do this thing and, and for whatever reason to get it off their conscience and to make sure that they're in the forefront of, of providing justice for Blacks and Browns and BIPOC individuals. Uh, but what they do is they take over the minds. They're, they bring in their own experiences and their own ways of making meaning about that. So, so I've seen that. What I've seen happen is they expect the Black woman to bend her back so that they could use her back as a bridge. And that trampling of the Black woman's back then causes her or causes the woman in that case to to disengage and to have those kind of unique stressors and just to just to bow out totally so that kind of that kind of interaction is more it used to is less prevalent now than it was then but it still exists there's an expectation that the black woman can fix it that the black woman, you know, you you've got um, a gap in your retention. Just hire a black woman, and she can make that gap go away in a week. And that's again the writing of the back of the black woman. Um, historically, that was huge. When you know, even just in my days of being, it's gotten a little bit better. Okay. Because now, um, now the the back writing has to do with the progressive races making sure that you're on their side. So it's like, you gotta be on my side and you can't be on that those pe people's side because I know what white supremacy looks like, uh, at least through my lens. Um, so, so, so historically it's, it's getting better, but okay. it's, not, it's not there yet. It's far from being there. Okay, so is it more of this immediate need to fix everything yes, versus absolutely. stepping back to kind of say what's going to be the best or, or are we not really just having, I don't, I don't know if I want to phrase it this way, but I'm, a, I'm just going to jump in and say it. Is it, we're just not having those conversations. And I was hesitant to say we're not having those conversations because one of our speakers said, well, we've had conversations for a long time. At mm -hmm. what point does the action kick in? And I agree. We've had conversations, but have we had the right conversations, the authentic conversations, the conversations that might be difficult, that might cause, that might require you to have some courage and not to not to, as Robin uh, D'Angelo puts in her book, 
not to jump to the conclusions that are going to make you feel comfortable as a white person, but to listen and to listen and to listen more than you speak. And in the academic world, do we really have that environment to facilitate that process? Or is it still, as you're saying, there's a problem, get a person of color to step in, the problem will be fixed. So have we, I guess I'm going for or asking you, especially since you've been in those meetings, are we really moving away from building a solid infrastructure? And building a solid platform, which I fear to have it uh, sustainability. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I I think that's a great question. And I agree with the sustainability aspect of it. But unfortunately, um, Dr. James, I don't think those discussions are, are really valid yet. I think it's still more optics, like we check off the box kinds of things. Uh, because it hurts, it's painful. I give the description of when I scrape my knee on some gravel and my mother, my mother who, who was a nurse had to pull out each piece of that gravel. It was very painful for me, but she said to me, and I never forgot this, if we don't pull out the gravel, those it'll get infected and your leg will be worse. We've got to clean it up first. We got to dismantle the kinds of things now that that caused the obstacles to the discussions. We've got to look at the discrimination policies, the discrimination that still exists. We've got to pull out the gravel that's going to be painful, but then you put a little peroxide on it, little and a little uh, neurosporum on there, put a little Band-Aid on it, and it'll heal. It'll have, still have scars because this stuff ain't going to go away. Excuse myself, Philly ain't going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll begin the healing process. It's painful and people don't like to feel uncomfortable. And Robin talks a lot about that in her book. Uh, folks, progressive racist feeling uncomfortable. So that's why they got to get to it and go to it and tell us what to do and how to do it. And it got to be done immediately in their time frame and their way. Just us. Okay, we're getting close to time, but I wanted to, I know, I know. (laughs) I will have her back, everybody. Okay, so let me go back to your book and say, um, as you're getting all the stories together, tell me a few themes that came up in the book. Um, Very good question. (laughs) Very good question. Uh, A couple of the themes that I was, I mean, I wasn't surprised because of the nature of the workshop. But a couple of things, uh, one of the things in particular was, am I enough? Am I enough? So, of course, there was a T-shirt that said, I am enough. And so they questioned, am I enough? And I don't, I should have had a copy in here because then I would have been able to write the prompts that I gave for that, uh, asking that yourself that question, am I enough? I'm going to put it out there to say, uh, I'm I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but go get the book. (laughs) (laughs) Just putting that promise out there. Go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah, And and there was another theme that that was um, very, well, a lot of the things were very theological in nature and that where is your trust? 
Who do you put your trust in? What do you stand upon? What promises do you stand upon? And there are prompts that kind of lead to, to your thought nature or your thought with the ways of making meaning about that as well. Okay. All right. As we're getting close to the end, um, I always like to end us off with some thoughts to kind of say, we talked about a lot of different things, but Mm -hmm. don't forget what do you want to make sure that the audience doesn't forget? I, I would, I would be hoping that they won't forget the, the marvelous work that you're doing as it relates to women and justice, as it relates to just uh, intellectual thought and the, the, the intellectual prowess that you bring to the academy. I am just so honored to do that. And so I would hope that people would keep that in mind as they continue to listen to, to women and justice uh, podcast. And I would hope that um, they know that we've done some work and some work has been accomplished in the area of black women in higher education, but we've got a lot more work to do. We've got to, we've got to start with dismantling the perceptions, the false perceptions and being more authentic about who we are and what we are, what we've been called to do and even how to do it. Because if you think about it, the master or the dominant dialogue is very socialized and very much a white framework. So we've got to look at the dialogue that exists and then be to, to look at our distinctive consciousness and bring our the, the, that dialogue from the margins into the paragraphs, as I say. Okay. All right. So do me a favor. Give the name of your book again. Yes. The, the name of the book is My T-Shirt is Speaking. And, where and can it's they... really a journal. Okay. I like to get the work right at it. And, okay. Where can they get it? Uh, Amazon currently has that the book uh, for sale. But if you contact me at um, harvest3inc at gmail.com and let me know that you want copies of the, a copy of the book or copies of the book, I will meet you. Some if it's as long as it's in Harrisburg, not Paris or France, you know. Or, <laughs> <laughs> I would I wouldn't mind she'll, doing she'll, that. She'll <laughs> make sure you have it. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, I just want to thank you so much for coming um, and talking to me. And just so everyone knows, yes, when she does the next book, I'll definitely have her back. But I'll definitely have her back. Um, quickly i i feel confident in that because we only got it to touch on the surface conversation and i look forward to talking more to her as always thank you so much i appreciate it namaste thank you i feel like this session has been so rich with knowledge but also i loved the fact that she reminded us and specifically me that We are enough. Do not make a list with 20 items on it, which was my model. Just realize that you are enough. With that, I need to also mention that my third book comes out. Yes, I'm nervous. And yes, I realize I'm enough. I have to put into practice our knowledge base that we gained today. It's a cozy, but before that date, which is November the 14th, 
I have quite a few book signings and speaking engagements on deck. Look for me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. As always, have a great day.